Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. In episode eight of the Well-Led Schools podcast, we'll be going over my six-step framework to improving staff wellbeing and school culture and how to become a well-led school. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of Well-Led Schools. My name is Adrienne Hornby. The biggest mistake most school leaders are making is thinking that staff wellbeing is about morning teas, after work drinks, and only encouraging teacher self-care. While these are all helpful strategies and really should be part of the big picture, they are not enough to keep our staff's well-being in check and then go on to influence our school's culture at a deeper level. And listen, <laughs> I get it. Everyone says that encouraging our teachers to look after themselves and plugging in time to socialize will improve school culture. So it's really easy to believe that this will help solve your staff wellbeing problems. But if that were true, every school that has a social club or puts out a spread of biscuits every so often wouldn't have teachers taking so much time off due to stress and we'd be retaining our staff over the long term. And we know in some schools that this just isn't the case. In fact, if you keep holding on to that belief, it's likely your grand plans for your school's improvement will implode as your staff struggle to manage their workload and edge closer and closer towards professional burnout. So the question is, how do you actually improve teacher well-being and staff well-being and leader well-being in a way that doesn't come across as tokenistic to staff or is reliant on surface level approaches? Well, you put in place strategic staff well-being measures that address the core needs of your school at a much deeper level. By following my six steps to becoming a well-led school, you can begin to transform your school's culture. This framework includes elements of positive psychology's PERMA model, and to learn about the PERMA model, please go back to episode six, current educational leadership research, and of course, the recommendations from Australian leading wellbeing organisations like Beyond Blue, BU, and the Black Dog Institute, just to name a few. The value of this model is that we don't get caught up only in, let's say, in the PERMA model and go, oh, yep, let's go for the R in PERMA relationships and let's do that. And yes, Beyond Blue, they recommend that we send out resources on how to support staff with mental health. So that sounds good. We'll do that. But then not actually lead your school any differently. And what's important to remember is that staff well-being and school culture is driven by the leaders. So we have to acknowledge that and we have to take those leadership practices in 
to uh, in mind uh, in order to be able to affect any real change. So let's dive straight into the six steps to becoming a well-led school with step number one, which is to scan your school and pinpoint the health and well-being needs of your staff. So this first very essential step in improving school culture involves scanning your school and assessing the current culture and how staff are performing as a result. Before putting any new changes or initiatives into action, it's actually essential to consider the current needs of your school and your staff. Because let me tell you, every single school that I've worked with is different. Yes, there are similarities from school to school, but the complexities of, of any different setting are just that. They're, they're totally different and, and dependent on the leadership, the staff, the community, students. So, of course, then your focus is going to be vastly different from school to school. Now, involving staff in this process allows leaders to obtain data and observations that may normally go unnoticed at a leadership level. You can't make decisions about what your staff need behind the closed doors of a leadership meeting. And if you do do that, you're only going to get staff offside from the very beginning. So to scan your school, first of all, you do discuss overall staff well-being as a leadership team. That's just one part of it. But it's really important here to collect staff feedback about their health and well-being and school culture. What's working, what isn't working, what are their key stresses and, and what initiatives would they like to see be put in place? And you can do this by using a staff wellbeing survey and then actually exploring the data and the key themes that come out of that. And if you can um, purchase a DIY staff wellbeing survey from my website or there's the option for me to write up a data report on what's coming out from, from your staff data. From here, it's really important for you to review not only the observations of the leadership team and the staff and survey data, but also correlate this with any other collected data that you have in your school. The value of this is that, one, you actually look at any climate data you might have captured before, but you can also get a convincing feel of any themes that are beginning to um, emulate across your data sets. So generally school climate data looks at things like collaboration and leadership and, and you know, supports in, in the classroom and across the school. So if you have, you know, key themes coming out of your survey and, and what's being said in staff meetings or team meetings, and then you're correlating this with other data sets that you've got, you can really begin to see that it's not just you know, the opinions of some, this is beginning to come out historically in your data or in your most recent data as well. From here, once you've taken a really good bird's eye view look at, at all of your data and all of those themes, you can identify your top one to three priority areas for focus because if you try and address it all, uh, your approach really will be scattered. Uh, you almost become like a jack of all trades but a master of none. So, you know, if it's student behaviour that is the key stressor for your staff, then your focus really would be on a whole school approach to systemising um, student behaviour and expectations across the school, for example. And you communicate this data and these themes to your staff so they understand why your approach is the way that it is. I've actually um, linked 
a copy of my free scanning tool in the show notes. And this is all of the questions that you can ask yourself at a leadership level, at a team level, and with individual staff. And of course, I'll link in uh, the opportunity to get your hands on a copy of my anonymous staff or being survey too, if you feel so inclined to, to seek the voice and feedback from your staff, which I hope you do. The next step, step two, is to upskill the leadership team and your entire staff on effective wellbeing management and culture building strategies. So once you know where your school's priority areas lie, it's time to, first of all, train the leaders in practices that help them to understand and support the wellbeing and culture needs of their staff, as well as improve their leadership skills to be able to lead during times of complex change, like right now. The school leadership team really is the glue that holds all of your teaching teams and your staff together. If they're not equipped with the relevant leadership approaches, skills, and personal attributes to be able to promote a shared vision for improved school culture and well-being and support the mental health of the staff that they lead, then all of the morning teas and the after-work drinks mean zilch. In addition to this, staff well-being is a joint responsibility, so staff need access to training and professional development opportunities too. Staff have the right to come and work in an environment that prioritises their well-being, but they too must play their part in creating a positive school culture, which means taking active steps to take care of themselves and proactively contribute to a positive working environment. So you can do this by having all leaders complete a self-assessment and reflection to identify their key areas of strength and areas for future focus in regards to their leadership skills, to explore and provide training in PL for leaders to develop their awareness of, knowledge and skills to support staff wellbeing and build a positive school culture, to explore and provide training for uh, our staff, of course, to be able to build coping skills and resilience and ways to prioritize their well-being beyond work because we know that teachers, um, you know, could work to all hours if they could um, and not look after themselves all in the name of, you know, putting students first or their team first. So it's important for us to learn how to look after ourselves. And in this too, it's really essential that as a school, we come to an understanding of the joint responsibilities of staff well-being. And we agree what leaders and staff can do together to improve school culture and work towards collective well-being. Again, it's not just up to the leaders to, to fix any challenge areas in a school. They, of course, have to lead that. They're actually titled. But staff, too, can play their part. So, again, getting on the same page about that is really essential. I'll link some really helpful resources for this in the show notes, including an example of some of the joint responsibilities of staff well-being and some reflection tools for leaders as well. Then all of this leads into step three, which is to create a well-being action plan and well-being team in your school. Now, well-being action plans are my bread and butter and I love them so much because they are an evidence-based system used worldwide to manage staff health and well-being. Now, a good wellbeing action plan helps to identify priority areas and actions needed to work towards school improvement. So this is why step one, the scan, is really important. 
do not, do not, do not, please just start off your well-being initiative by developing a plan straight off the bat without first identifying what the needs are of your school. So they're meant to be a collaborative document created in conjunction with the staff and they help to identify the practices needed to ensure that staff feel safe and content coming to work, even when times are tough. Now, the Wellbeing Action Plan document provides a scope for implementing a range of ways to promote a healthy lifestyle, for staff to access support, to foster positive relationships, to build morale, and to implement strategies for ongoing culture building. Now, the concept of workplace wellbeing action plans isn't new. Again, leading organizations like Beyond Blue and the Black Dog Institute and Heads Up all recommend workplaces make these crucial considerations to preserve the health and well-being of staff. But I think that what's missing from that, again, are those foundational steps into actually identifying what the key challenges are and what staff actually want before we just build a nice piece of paper or have something as a hyperlink in our annual action plan saying, yep, we've ticked that box. So the steps for creating a wellbeing action plan really are first to assemble a wellbeing team and identify those priority areas for the wellbeing action plan. So that comes out in in step one of my model. And then begin drafting your wellbeing action plan by brainstorming objectives and goals that meet those whole school's priority areas. So brainstorm actions that really provide a step-by-step roadmap to achieving your objectives or goals and who, of course, is responsible for each of those steps and how this will be measured. And this, of course, also ties in a bit of vision setting, like where do you want to be at the end of your, you know, the period that this plan maps out? So whether it's that's in three years, where do you want your staff to be? How do you envision your school to look? And again, that's led by senior leaders, but it really needs to be co-created with all staff. Then from here, communicate and consult with staff. These are the ideas that we've come up with, attending to our priorities, meeting our vision. Um, What do you think? Are we missing anything? You know, what's the most important to keep? We've got too many actions in here. Will we actually be able to achieve all of it? And then review and update your wellbeing action plan based on feedback and commence working towards your objectives then, making sure that you're regularly checking in with how that's going as a wellbeing team. Now, the key here is that wellbeing action plans can just be a lovely piece of paper with a million and one actions on them, but are they actually any good? (laughs) And I think the best kind of action plans really are, of course, developed to support the areas of need in your school, and they're not built using surface-level wellbeing approaches that totally miss the mark. So they're built with staff and for staff, and they require constant consultation and collaboration. I think the best way to achieve a good non-surface level approach to wellbeing is to structure your wellbeing action plan using the six areas of the PERMA model. So um, positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and health. And if you want to learn more about PERMA, again, go back to episode six, but I'll link that in the show notes. Now, your plan will consider actions across each of these six pillars. And the reason being is because research has shown that working across those six areas is more likely to increase staff psychological safety. And I think it it stops you then from only planning a wellbeing action plan, which has, you know, 
to look at resources from the Beyond Blue website or to have after-work drinks. It actually includes leadership-led engagement practices, recognition of accomplishment and, you know, ways to promote meaning and have vision, those kind of things. Then it's also important for you to consider the culture-building prevention and intervention strategies required to address your priority areas. Too often I really only see schools applying preventative initiatives like morning teas and after-work drinks, Um, but a properly developed action plan takes into account how many staff are actually experiencing burnout or impacted mental health because this number dictates whether you need certain interventions in place as well. So an example of this is that I've worked with schools where 55% of their staff report that they're struggling with their mental health, um, which, you know, the Australian average is 20%. So that's dire. And 75% of their staff are burnt out. If you only have preventative measures in there and you don't have any practices in place as intervention, like having mental health first aid conversations with leaders, which requires training, Um, you know, offering support options, access to EAP, encouraging them to seek support outside of school and being able to have those conversations just as a couple of examples or even, you know, considering um, adapting their work work practices and um, supporting an integration into full-time work if they've been off part-time or had time off, just as an example, um, then you're not actually going to be supporting your staff in the way that they need. Then it's important for you to consider in your plan things that you can do. So these are actions, skills that your staff and leaders might need to master and things that they could learn in order to influence change in your school. Actions are not enough and your leaders and staff might actually need to learn more about how to manage mental health, communicate, prevent burnout in staff. Um, and so ensuring that you've got those uh, learning and skill mastery steps in there is is really important. A sound well-being action plan really will help your school or organisation focus more closely on improving and maintaining staff well-being in order to achieve desired outcomes and goals. And I work with schools in my comprehensive well-led school partnership programs over a whole year to be able to move through steps one and two and then finally, at the end of at the end of our twelve months together, we develop that really sound well-being action plan. And I collaborate with you to ensure all of those good well-being action plan tips and strategies are, are put in place. This episode is brought to you by our signature well-led schools partnerships, a twelve-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Now then steps four, five, and six are all mapped out as part of your wellbeing action plan. And 
equally, they're all equally as important, um, you know, although engagement, we'll talk about that soon, comes at last at step six, step six. Please don't leave engagement till last. Um, so, yes, so step four, this has begun to be woven into your wellbeing action plan and that is to build and manage relationships and increase collaboration. Social support in the workplace and perceived support from the school's leadership and greater staff appear to have a protective effect against mental health difficulties and challenges and a decline in health and wellbeing in staff. Now, this involves building strong relationships amongst staff, but also addressing any potential conflicts as they arise. The key here is not only to plan social events, but also to scaffold and support collaboration. Social events help to build morale and forge relationships between staff, but all in the name of more effective and connected collaboration, required for collective teacher efficacy, which really is the end goal for any positive school climate and collective success and student outcomes. So you can build the relationships within your workplace by taking these steps. First of all, plan in-school and out-of-school relationship-building events, Um, Of course, that doesn't mean um, finding imaginary relief teachers to cover your staff for the day, but maybe in lieu of a staff meeting once a term, you've got some kind of team building activity planned where staff can build shared memories with one another that they wouldn't normally connect with outside of work. Just remember too that Outside of work events are so important, but when you've got really high rates of burnout or impacted well-being, staff are sometimes too tired to come, considering, you know, those with young families as well. I know once I had a child, I could go to less social events, but I really wanted to connect more with my staff. Luckily, I was in charge of that, so I planned all of the team building opportunities in work hours. It's also important to remember to check in with staff often. So we create a culture of check-ins, but as leaders, genuinely checking in, seeing how staff are going. How's, you know, how are you feeling? Um, What can I do? Is there anything the leadership can do to support you? Not, you know, accountability check-ins, but general feels for, for their well-being and, you know, getting to know staff on a more personal level. It's also important, of course, to manage conflicts as they arise, and this might require training for some of our leaders, but most recent research has actually talked about how developing our emotional intelligence is more preventative of conflicts than, you know, conflict management or restoration conversations because we're sort of nipping it in the bud before it can even get there. It's also important to track the good stuff, identify character strengths and different personalities of styles, uh, sorry, personality styles of staff and, and learn how to appreciate everybody for who they are and what they add. Distributing the leadership is really important as well. Um, of course, you can do that with, with staff strengths. But I also really like um, utilising coaching and mentoring. And that just isn't targeting people who need coaching and mentoring. I think everybody can engage in a coaching and mentoring process, but you can adopt things like learning walks, peer feedback opportunities, um, and, you know, then that opportunity for everybody to work with a coach at some stage. Um, And, you know, that involves a process of setting that up, but it's such a strong way to build a positive culture. I also think it's really important to utilise some kind of collaboration scaffold whether that be a professional learning community approach, some kind of inquiry model like the Tim Police spiral of inquiry or action research. 
staff don't always know how to collaborate and if you've got some kind of a scaffold in place for them that they follow, then you ensure consistency across the school. Again, I'll link a few resources for you in the show notes, namely some really fun team building ideas that you can utilise and some readings for the PLC approach as well. Then we jump into step five, which is to implement wellbeing initiatives and create support systems for staff. Only once you've identified the key workplace stresses most prevalent to the staff in your school and actually discovered the initiatives that they feel would be most impactful to their well-being, can you work to find and implement targeted and relevant ways to support staff mental health, build support systems, reduce stress, encourage resilience building and promote staff psychological safety. Now, these initiatives are best received when staff trust their leadership team and one another which is why steps one through four really, in my opinion, must come first if you want to make a big enough of a difference. This is why I'm really um, opposed to, first of all, just bringing in somebody to focus on well-being straight off the bat with a lovely well-being presentation because while it might work temporarily and staff will be grateful initially, if the key stresses aren't actually being addressed or staff don't feel like they can talk to their leadership team, things really quickly can derail after that. And actually, I think it can generate more frustration in our staff over the long term. And, you know, it's a common mistake when I first got into this work. I too, my first very first whooping workshop I ran in school was, you know, here's the multiple ways that you can better look after yourself. Um, but I realised that you can do that, but if nothing's changing within your school, that only can last so long. So again, once you've kind of identified those key stresses, built those relationships and, and developed skills of leaders and staff, you can consider finding fun, informative and engaging ways to promote good physical health with a focus on nutrition and exercise opportunities in the workplace Also bring awareness to mental health more broadly in the workplace and reduce the stigma. Um, You know, open up the floor for staff to talk about this without repercussion. Uh, Embody wellbeing promoting strategies such as monitoring staff workload and work hours, establishing peer support or buddy options, um, getting really clear on job roles and responsibilities. Where required, support staff who are challenged by a mental health concern or period of struggle. Um, And, of course, that requires upskilling our leaders and staff in how to actually have those conversations, and I love mental health first aid for that. Um, It's important, too, to contact your employee relations team to seek advice on any other avenues you can take to support key staff members, and they can can be really helpful when we actually call and ask the questions. I had to do it a, a couple of times for some staff in terms of, you know, I'm really struggling to get staff into work. Um, How can I support them more? What can I put in place? Um, And seek the advice of of your department or education office. And, of course, provide access or avenues to counselling services and a specialist support group. So I'm thinking here EAP. Um, Again, there's not a huge uptake on these and you might ask staff why that is. Maybe they've tried before but they didn't really resonate with the person. So, you know, part of a good mental health first aid plan is supporting staff to problem solve and seek support you don't have to counsel them but you know 
encourage them to reach out to a psychologist or a counsellor outside of work and be mindful that we might need to be a little bit flexible around hours for them to be able to attend those meetings, which I know isn't always easy. But if we're supportive of that and them getting better, um, it's only going to pay off for us in the long run. Finally, we've reached step number six, which is to foster more engagement in the workplace. Now, this step emphasizes how essential it is for school leaders to find multiple evidence-based ways to actively engage their staff and ensure workplace satisfaction by utilizing staff strengths and interests, providing autonomy, distributing the leadership, offering coaching and mentoring opportunities, developing our staff professionally and personally, and providing feedback, recognition, and more. While engagement is the last step of my approach, it's certainly not the least important, nor should it be considered last. Increased work engagement of staff really does lead to optimal performance and improved outcomes for teachers, students, and the community. Likewise, when staff feel like their well-being matters and steps are taken to promote and preserve it, their engagement increases. So you can see how both go hand in hand. I want to acknowledge here, I've actually been working with a few schools this year who are finding it hard as leaders to get into classrooms, particularly with such huge staff shortages because they're fully in the operational, no longer in the strategic or the innovative And my advice here is to start small. If your staff have not had a leader give them feedback or recognition at all in a year, like even if you just aim for once a semester, let's just start small, communicate this to staff, be really open and transparent about why it's really hard to get into classroom spaces, um, but you're working towards it and this is your goal. I think that raises the hope of our staff, but it also helps them to gain perspective of how we are struggling as leaders and why we might not be able to sit down and goal set with them um, every year and, and, you know, make something meaningful out of goal setting to not just PDP tick and flicks, um, you know, how are we being really mindful about their goals as well. So we can foster more engagement in the workplace by creating clear goals and giving timely feedback and recognition of achievements to all staff, assessing, reviewing and developing the skills of staff across relevant areas, which I really think comes from the goal setting process. Like when you know who they are and the ideal version of of who they'd like to be as a professional, then you can start to work out, okay, well, they want to develop skills in this, so I'm going to mindfully think of opportunities for them to be able to do that. It's important here to ensure clarity with jobs and roles, particularly for our leaders. Um, I think when we actually go to our job descriptions and we see that we are meant to be coaching and mentoring and we are meant to be developing policy and practices and processes across the school, but we then can analyse, oh, my God, I'm with kids all day or I'm in classrooms putting out spot fires. Again, we can set small and achievable goals. Like this year I really want my leaders to be able to do this part of their job description. So let's just start small and and work out how we can strategically timetable the ability to do that and work together as a leadership team to plan for that but also to communicate to staff that these are our intentions. Again, that raises hope. 
And of course, you know, another nod to creating a mentoring, coaching and peer feedback model. I think that this is just the best way to attend to strategic goals, but also build relationships, morale, culture across the school. So let me ask you, do you really want to keep spinning your wheels with actions that don't make much of a difference in your school and continue to struggle with rising staff burnout rates, impacted staff mental health, ongoing staff absenteeism, impacted intrapersonal relationships and and constant worry about your people? Or do you want to get your school to a point where teachers and staff are excited to tackle new initiatives and have the energy and capacity to meet your school's strategic goals in 2023 and beyond? I really do encourage you to do things differently this year so that you can make 2023 your best and most successful school year yet. And that's with a diagnostic approach to your staff wellbeing model. If you'd like to learn more about the six steps to becoming a well-led school, you can download a comprehensive PDF guide complete with resources and ideas. You can download this now at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash about hyphen six hyphen steps or find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Well-Led Schools. You can access the show notes for this episode complete with information and links wherever you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already and share this with any other educators you think might find it valuable. Thanks again for listening and stay well. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.